What time is it? 8 30. <laughs> Welcome to episode five of the Livingston Experience and I'm joined once again on another Saturday afternoon. We're taking some time out to have a chat about all things NBA. But Darren Hill, before I throw to you, I've got a question without notice relating to another sport. Can we finally put to bed the, re- put to bed the argument that Tom Brady is better than Aaron Rodgers now that Brady's beaten him in the NFC Championship game? Sure, why not? <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> I'm just going to agree to pretty much anything about the NFL just because I, I, I can't I can't not get emotional about a sport I once loved and now I couldn't I couldn't detest it much more, Dad. So <laughs> uh, a Trump supporting, gun toting, uneducated, greatest of all time, brilliant. That's just perfect. It's just such a perfect moniker for the NFL. <laughs> they Brady and the NFL deserve each other. Uh, so, the one, anyway. the one credit I'll give the NFL is I heard today they're giving out I think like seventy percent of the tickets to the Super Bowl are going to frontline workers in the US uh, through a ballot system. So they've they've finally done something right after many years. It's a step. It's a step. Yep, that's yep. that is good. That is good. Um, but I, there are some other dark moments in the NFL this week with. Um, but I don't know if you want to restart there, Daz. No, this is we won't. This is Livingston. Let's just say it's another MAGA hat wearing former Green Bay Packer quarterback great mm. um, uh, criticizing a, a black athlete. Let's just leave it at that. It's just unconscionable. But here we are. Sign of the times, Daz. Yeah, so the less said about the NFL, the better. I just wanted to start with uh, with Thank a you. quick jab in the, the ribs. The needle in the eye. That's good. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> let's let's move to our. Uh, it's been now a couple of weeks since we last spoke. We'll move straight to our Livingston moments from the past fortnight. Uh, one of my favourite moments was uh, going right back, and we spoke about the Cavs uh, and the Cavs sort of shooting up my league pass rankings. I think your league pass rankings uh, at our last during our last podcast and I caught the Cavs Lakers game which was shortly after we last spoke and it was one of those games that was sort of just fizzling away and it was it was pretty close heading into the last quarter and LeBron was having a decent game not a great game and he came out in the last quarter and Cavs were leading at this point and he missed a shot a you know, reasonably easy shot for him the way he's been shooting the ball it sort of rimmed went in and out and Cavs get the rebound. Anyway, he spots out the corner of his eye because, as you know at the moment, there's no fans in the building, but there were some Cleveland executives. And one of the Cleveland executives just running around high-fiving all the other Cleveland team that are there. And LeBron sort of put put one eye on him and thought... And he said after the game, he said he was getting a little bit too excited about about me missing a shot <laughs> in, the, in, the, you know, in the arena that I built type of thing so LeBron just decides from that moment he's taking over the game and Cleveland just had no response I mean Cleveland played really well they actually kept it close until the last sort of minute and a half or so in this one but LeBron pulled out all the stops like he was hitting the the fadeaway shots he's hitting that step back three he's taking it to the rim like you you name it, he was doing it. And one of the moments that really had me up, Daz, and I spoke about this off, off air, it reminded me of that famous scene in Indiana Jones 
and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, where the guy comes with the with the sword and does all the sword tricks. And it was towards the end of the game, and LeBron had Isaac Okoro, the, the young rookie, on him. And LeBron sort of went to move, and Isaac Okoro is just showing him every single defensive stance that you could possibly think of. Arms up, arms down, <laughs> arm beside, getting up in his face. And LeBron just sort of stood back, didn't do anything, and then just sort of looked up at him, took one dribble, stepped back three, nothing but net, and then just casually trotted back down the court and just looking straight at him and just shaking his head. As if to say, <laughs> you've got no chance. Of Yo, child, what you, what you going on about, child? That's beautiful. <laughs> so yeah. it was just such a beautiful, uh, a beautiful moment. And uh, LeBron was just otherworldly. And he, he's been amazing. Uh, as we've spoken about a number of times, uh, the start of the season does. So that that was my number one uh, Livingston moment from the past fortnight. But w- what's caught your eye, Daz, uh, from the, the Livingston moment's point of view? Uh, so many this last little while. Um, it's hard to ignore. I just have to at least give some lip service. I don't think we've spoken since um, Nikola Jokic like, redefined greatness from the center position when he went off for 33 first half points against Rudy Gobert. It might as well been defended by Matthew Della Vadova. Daz, uh, again, I don't know if you watched that game, but that was, this just there was 15 Levingston moments in that game was just the way Jokic can manipulate every player and control the entire game. It is LeBron-esque. It is, it is something special. So he was, Ultimately, 17 for 26 from the floor, ended with 47 points, and just absolute masterful control, pace, space, decision-making. Obviously, we know all about his passing. It's just, if um, we'll be the last podcast on the planet, you know, giving an update on this game, which was like, I don't know, five or six days ago, but that was... That was performance of the year, Daz, from my from my perspective. Well, that the was unbelievable thing special. with Jokic, he just stands there, and, you know, in the high post, he can see, like, obviously all through the court, and he's just waiting for a defender to make a certain movement towards him or a cut from a teammate. Or, and, as soon, and his pinpoint accuracy with the passing is just something to behold, uh, the way he sort of picks, it, it picks apart a defense. That's a great point. That's what's so mes- – I think that's what makes it so beautiful is that – you're exactly right. The critical word you said was the patience. He is so patient, right? It almost feels like it's slow motion, right? But it's it's almost, you know, the matrix, you know, where you've got the, you feel like everything's kind of going at one-tenth the speed and like it simultaneously you can see it from, he can see the, the court from 360 degrees. It's just, it's just special. So that was, that's a performance to behold, right? That one. Um so, yep, hats off to Jokic, probably my early favorite for MVP, way too early favorite for MVP voting. Um, and then I got to give credit to another guy who's gotten a bit of airplay this week as well, is, um, is Nick Batum, Daz. Like, talk about a guy who was albatross contract, washed up, right? Um, all those words that we associate when someone's paid a lot of money and he's on a losing team, but I kind of feeling he might have been he might have been uh sandbagging Daz because he goes and signs with the bloody clipper is this and he's become he's like he's become a 30 minute a night player on you know a team with with title aspirations 
And so I don't want to give, I don't want to go too far with my conspiracy theory that he was sandbagging the last couple of years. Cause it surely, surely would have tanked his, his value around the league, but he's been everything. He's been another wing, um, wing defender, long armed, right. You know how smart he is. So hell of a player, um, hell of a player. And he's had some big games this week as well. So, Hats off to old man Nick Batum, Daz. Well, there's a great chapter in uh, a book I've just finished called The Soul of Basketball. And it talks about Brian Cardinal, if you remember Brian Cardinal from that Dallas yeah. Mavericks uh, championship turn. Anyway, I'd forgotten. Brian Cardinal got a big contract earlier in his career uh, with the Memphis Grizzlies. And he spoke about the pressure that a big contract brings. And I think we saw a little bit of a Boris Diaw as well when he went to Charlotte. And... Once they're paying you a certain amount of money, the, the expectations rise. You're going to shoot the ball more. You're going to do things outside of what your role was that probably got you that contract in the first place. And that's certainly what happened with Cardinal. I think it's definitely what happened with Boris Diaw. Boris Diaw didn't want to score. He wanted to be the distributor. He wanted to put up those you know, lines of 11 points, eight rebounds, seven assists. That, that was the sort of game that he wanted to play. Whereas yeah. when Charlotte played Boris Diaw, for example, they wanted him to be putting up 20 points a night because they're like, you're a good shooter. You should be shooting more. Don't worry so much about uh, distributing. And Boris just said, well, I'm not interested in it. And went into his shell and you know, basically refused to to play at his best or wasn't capable of playing his best, whatever the case may have been. So I think you might see the same sort of thing with Nick Batum. I mean, don't forget, he came from the Portland team where he was with Dame Lillard and, and LaMarcus Aldridge at that stage, and he was, what, the third or fourth best player in that team. Then he goes to Charlotte, and they're paying him like he's the best player on the team. And yeah. the expectation goes, you now need to shoot the ball an extra five times a night and, and do and do a little bit more on defense. And he's just not capable of doing that. And it sort of chips away your confidence and chips away your game. And I, and I think that's probably what you've seen from Nick Batum, where this season he's obviously much more comfortable in the role that he's been given. That's a great point. So that's I think you're probably right about the role um, and the scalability. You see a lot of guys um, thriving in that. You know, Jeremy Grant and Christian Wood, notably, you know, go from... Um, you know, from a really good team in Denver to a, you know, struggling team in Detroit and see how he, he thrives, right, with scalability. And that's clearly what Batum, probably right, he's never never built and didn't have the mindset to take 20 field goal attempts per game. But um, I certainly as a Bucks fan, we've seen, I have, I have no doubt in my mind, he's quite a, such a kind of gentle, a bit of a, sounds like a software, but kind of a gentle spirited, you know, nice, quiet, nice guy like Eric Bledsoe, right, got that big extension on a title, a team of title aspirations and we saw terribly you know, for him um, a couple playoffs in a row he just wilted from the pressure it just it becomes too much so um, so yeah so anyway it's nice to see Batum kind of finding his his uh, a carve out for a role uh, carving out a role for himself and then my other two little Levingson moments Daz are just um, little snippets from today uh, a, a highlight that Kevin O'Connor posted right as it was happening it sounds like you saw this live, but a terrific game between the Pelicans and Pacers today. And in the final sequence, um, Miles uh, Turner gets the ball at the top of the key, does a bit of a juke and, and drives to the basket. Um, pretty clear path of the basket. And Lonzo comes from the help side. And Lonzo Ball, just this picture-perfect textbook 
um, verticality on defense where he's a pretty long kid, right? Six, 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 seven, isn't he? Yeah. Um, so he's not small, but he, he got in the way and absolutely snuffed out miles Turner at the rim and just absolutely almost just like a pencil straight up and down, um, playing great defense. So, uh, that'll get a lot of play tonight. Hopefully, you know, ESPN and the hope TNT show some good defensive efforts, not just made three pointers. Um, so that was really great to see Lonzo who's had kind of an up and down year, but great performance today. Well, I um, think just quickly on the Pearls, yeah. I mean, I've watched them, I watched them destroy the Bucks, uh, which was an outlier shooting performance to be fair uh, in that game. I think Lonzo hit what, seven threes and I think Bledsoe hit seven threes. They uh, did. Both yeah. in that game. What I will say about them though, they seem to be finding their way now. And we sort of said earlier in the season, you couldn't make sense of this term. What are they? What do they want to do? I feel like watching the last two games, they're starting to find their way and players are starting to understand what their roles are. And Lonzo is probably a good example of that, where if if he's set for a three, he's actually a really good three-point shooter. The ones he's got to cut out of his game are these off-the-bounce ones where he's trying to sort of shoot step-backs and things like that. It's just not a shot that he's ever going to hit with any consistency. So get rid of it out of your game. And I think their ability to just crash the board with Adams and Zion out there is working to an extent. The question is obviously, can that, that line-up stay afloat defensively at the other end of the court? And certainly the, the Pacers took advantage of that today. They were 9 of 11 from the three-point line in the in the fourth quarter, playing their backups. They actually sat Sabonis and Brogdon in this game, and Brogdon and Sabonis didn't get back in. Uh, so it was their backups that brought Pacers back in from about 18 down, I think they were at one point in that game. So they were TJ McConnell was really killing it at the point of attack, and then it was just wide open threes uh, pretty much that whole fourth quarter. So that that's the worry, I think, going forward if you've got Adams and, and Williamson on the court at the same time. But I think it's attacked the, mat- the mismatches, which Brandon Ingram creates mismatches when he's out there. And if they're sending double terms, then obviously you've got Zion attacking the rim or you've got other guys who, if they're set for three, like Josh Hart, Redick, Lonzo Ball, they're going to hit a good percentage of them. So it, it made more sense to me what I saw them do, in particular on offense today, than probably what it has uh, in the last few times. I mean, what did you make of them when you saw a bit more of them against the Bucks? Yeah, similarly, which is um, they are starting to figure stuff out. They do. They still probably do a little bit too much. Um, Brandon Ingram doing it all himself. A lot of ISO, a lot of lot of play initiation, for my taste. But I guess you know, given what you just said, that um, you know, Lonzo is not a very good half court. You know, let's be honest, not a very good half court. You know, playmaker himself, and Bledsoe again, also good in the open court and transition, but pretty bad in the half court as well. So I get that they have limited options, but I, what I saw today more so than in the bucks again, cause it was just a, they just didn't miss in that game against Milwaukee. It was t- kind of hard to learn a lot in that one. But what I saw today against Indiana was um, they're crashing the boards a lot. And Adams had, yeah, seven offensive boards today. So they just decided like stuff it, you know, we're going to, we're going to pound the glass. And you, I think you said it as well. So bonus was Sabonis was really bad today. Like he was, he was off. He was way so, off. He was shooting air balls from like yeah. four feet. It was just weird. I don't know something if something was, got in his head or he just wasn't. And I, and I think we're seeing that this year. It's been a very uneven season, and you're just seeing yeah. certain games where you where teams or players haven't turned up in the right mindset to play. And I think that yeah. happened with Sabonis tonight. 
Yeah, but again, so what I saw though is that in that game is that uh, a real a defensive identity playing, and I was listening it from the Pels broadcast team, and um, they were talking about right is you know it's, it's Stan Van Gundy, so unsurprisingly, it's if you don't give defensive effort, you're not going to see the floor, and so I think that's what we're seeing, right? And so I think as as clunky as Adams, Zion, Lonzo, Bledsoe is. There's no denying, barring Zion in this instance, right? There's no denying the defensive upside that that team has, right? And so uh, whether that's going to serve them, uh, serve Zion in the long run, you know, that's, I think that's probably the big question. Is it is he going to pick up a lot of good habits from from this team? And will he benefit from playing next to a, you know, a giant like um, like Adams? And might it save him some wear and tear? Yeah, probably so. So that's what I'm seeing. I think it feels like this is a, you know, new coach establishing a philosophy. Um, they're finding enough ways to win, and they're playing hard. They're playing really hard defensively. So it's clearly a team that also is in that, you know, the the front office and then the Twitterverse would say, hey, lose a bunch of games, trade off your vets, right? Get yourself another pick um, to, to staple to these guys, right? Get in the, get in the lottery again. Okay, they're going to be in the lottery I'll, I'll perhaps a lot with the, those, these picks coming to them. But, you know, it's not, not tank, but, you know, lose a bunch of games. But... They get enough talent to have a, such a high floor, Daz, don't they? And I think they probably actually brought in Stan Van Gundy not to do a lot of, you know, this is not a long-term build. This is get these guys good and get them competing, you know, right away. Um, the Pell's ownership group notoriously, right? Not quite, not as frugal as a Fertitta group, but they're a little bit more frugal and they need, you know, um, they need this this brand and this team, you know, playing well. So, well, positive I think signs. Yeah. Just last point on that, I think there's a clear top four in the West with Denver, the two LA terms in Utah. But I think that five through, you know, really 12, there's not going to be a lot of games between them at the end of the season. Um, so, you know, I think you can still have a high floor and you might end up in the lottery, uh, which is probably Good to point. your point. Uh, and I think, so I think it's worthwhile continuing to play well um, and not do what we've seen terms do in the past and sort of put the queue in yeah. the rack because... Uh, yeah, you, you're going to get more development out of players by, by turning up every night the way the Pels have um, and the way pretty much every team in the West has apart from the, the poor old Timberwolves uh, to this point in the season. Yeah. So, what just, we... My final point is a little... Sorry, this is not quite... Um, it's not as uplifting. But it's, just a, it's a stark reminder, right? It's back to this is Zion and, and Adams and kind of how, they're, how they're, they're using Zion is that if you... Again, if you think about and forecast, you know, where he's going to be in, you know, say four or five years, that he being, he being Zion and knowing the, you know, the, the crazy unique body type that he has, right. And that athleticism is you, you fast forward and see what, um, what's happening to Christoph Porzingis. And I don't know if you've caught any, I know you're not the biggest Mavericks fan <laughs> and probably don't, don't mind. You never cheer for injuries. No, I've, don't mind the fact that the, I've watched plenty of Mavs does because I've been yeah. really enjoying uh, their yeah. struggles, although I don't enjoy watching uh, Porzingis he, look like uh, older version of Dirk. Oh, mate, he, he looks like I, I compared him to 1986 Bill Walton, and he looks like he's in pain. He looks like he's afraid of what he looks like he's in pain. He, he runs gingerly. His lateral movement is almost non-existent on defense. Um, and again, he's what seven foot three or whatever. And you just worry guys with that height and the history of all those lower body injuries. It looks really bad. And he's what twenty five, mm. right? He's a young, young, young guy, and um, and so again, I'm not suggesting at all that their biomechanics are at all the same. But you think about the the propensity and the risk of injury, like with the guy at Zion, and and so I think um, 
hopefully Stan Van Gundy's got a really strong handbrake and can resist the urge playing, you know, Zion 38 minutes a night, um, you know, in his desire to, to win basketball games. So that's just one thing, a kind of a sad moment to watch KP, um, you know, hopefully he can get some, I don't know, go to Germany and get some injections in his knees or, or I don't know what, but worrying signs, worrying signs about KP. Oh, no question. I've watched a few Mavericks games and um, yeah, that they would be really concerned, I think, about the trajectory of that term at the moment, particularly given they owe their pick unprotected to the New York Knicks next year. So they're one term that, that really doesn't advantage them at yeah. all uh, yeah. to win a few games and finish in that 12th spot and say, well, we've developed a few guys here and there. I don't, they're not in development mode. They're certainly in win-now mode, even though their best player is only 21 years of age. So they would be particularly concerned, I think, about the, the way this roster's built and the trajectory that we're seeing because I think it's stunting Luca's development as well uh, to some extent. There's, I, want, I wanted to move on to my next virtue... Uh, <laughs> Livingston moment, I've just given it away because I think the best player in the NBA that no one's talking about at the moment is Nikola Vucevic and I, I caught a bit of him today as he just torched the Bulls for 41 points but he is just plugging away at Orlando, trying to get them back into the playoffs again, no doubt for probably a, a first round exit but gee I admire the way this guy goes about it, like he's, he's not at Jokic's level but I don't think he's as far below Nikola Jokic as people would probably realise, just simply because he's playing for Orlando Magic and no one no one watches the Magic. I've I've been watching, right? It seems like the Bucks beat them in the first round every every year. It feels like we play the Magic all the time. Um, but he is he's he's special this year. I get like 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 so much of the league, the you know, three point shooting has skyrocketed, so he was a career like a 33 percent shooter you know before this season on very very low volume i think he took like five attempted three pointers in his five or six three pointers in his first six years in the league does now he's taking six a game and hitting 43 percent 43 percent from downtown mm-hmm. going in going into today's game on you know 22 points 11 rebounds and you know 33 minutes a night very very efficient offensive player nowhere near the playmaker right? he's not at all playmaker you don't really run offense through him but he's a guy who can get you he can score at three levels now has beautiful beautiful touch he's always had a really strong post and turnaround and up and under game and now he's bloody six three-pointers attempted per game but uh yeah it's hard not to like Vukovic I'm sorry Vucevic since everyone butchers that poor guy's (laughs) name yeah Bill Simmons really struggles with it he can't ever remember Vukovic is it Vukovic (laughs) what is it Ryan I always get you know I can't do Bill Simmons voice either but is it Vukovic uh, and but yeah, that's it's a great Levingston moment for a team that so desperately needs something to cheer for right after the hard luck with Isaac and and now with Fultz, you know, out for the season and and the rest of it. So um, yeah, that's one of the. I don't know if you, I heard this recently as well that the Orlando's got the I think the longest group of um, continuity, like the players in the league. You know, like certain numbers of players have been there a certain amount of time. Oh, yeah. Obviously, Fournier and. Um, Fournier and Vucevic, you know, uh, Terrence Ross, etc. Kind of the core of that team have been together a long time. So yeah, you kind of, you know, I don't, you know, I never wish this on a small market franchise, but a Vuce who's, you know, I think he's 30 years old now is. It's hard not to wish for a guy like that to get a get a shot on a, you know, on a contending team. But uh, I don't think Orlando's going to be any highly motivated to move him unless they decide to really hit hit the reset button. 
on that well, I think, I think you're seeing the same thing in Washington. And I want to get to Bradley Beal in a moment because I just think these teams are looking at saying, well, yeah, the whole point of what we're trying to do is to get a star player. We've got a star player. They're not a superstar, but they're certainly at an all-star level. We, we want to try and make moves to add pieces to that rather than get rid of that and try and rebuild again. Yeah. So, And I can see it from Orlando's point of view. Look, if the best we can hope for with the Vukovic era, such as it is, is a is a six seven seed every year, then you know, so I'm glad you're saying Vukovic now. God damn it, sorry, Vukovic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's a that's that's a very fair point. Yeah, that's fair. And let's, I want to talk too about Bradley Beal because I, I, I've got a bit of a take on Bradley Beal from watching him earlier this week against the Miami Heat. And they won that game, albeit without Russell Westbrook, which probably is not a coincidence because Westbrook was back today and they got absolutely belted by the same team. Uh, but I'm really of the view, I don't think Bradley Beal wants to be traded. I think he is committed to this team, Daz. Uh, and I, I, I know there's a lot of people talking up trades and things like that. I don't think Washington want to trade him. And I don't think Beal wants to leave. So I think you can get ready for Bradley Beal to be in Washington at least for another season and a bit um, just to sort of see what they are able to do. But there's no question this guy, you'll, no one on Washington is really giving much effort on the defensive end, sadly. But on the offense, he is just absolutely killing it again this season. And he's, you know, during the... the a crunch time portion of the Miami game. He was actually using his teammates too. It wasn't just the Bradley Beal. And that's where I sort of got the view. I think Beal's not, you know, just looking to be traded. I think he wants this team to win. He wants to be successful here because they were sort of sending double teams at him. And rather than, you know, you, you sort of feel if a guy wants to be traded and if he's like, I'm done with this team, he's just going to be chucking up shots and saying, I've got this and, sort of trying to do it all his own way, whereas he was trying to use his teammates. Now, the sad thing for him is uh, the teammates Sorry. he's trying to use were sort of Ish Smith and Robin Lopez and yeah. players like that that just weren't up to it uh, on the night. Uh, they still got the win because Miami, quite frankly, one of the worst teams in the league at the moment. I'm not quite sure what's happened to them. But uh, do you sort of feel the same way though with Bradley Beal? He, he is committed to Washington and you'd be surprised if, if he got traded at this point? Yeah, look, I don't know the, the guys thinking, you know, in, in the way that I would know, say, for example, a Giannis, where that, that noise for him to leave was uh, was deafening, you know, from from the flapping gums and the talking heads and the Twitterverse. So, I, you know, it's been similar with Beal. Just you see a team losing and you assume that's going to be miserable losing. And losing is miserable, especially for elite athletes, right, and competitive players like this. But, yeah, he's. I mean, he came out and said so much this week, didn't he? He had a, I think it was with, an interview with the athletic where he just you know, said, "Look, is the sky blue?" And he's like, "No, of course, of course it's not. Right? It's tough. You know, he doesn't. He's not naive, and he's not. Um, uh, he's not ignorant to the fact that, you know, that they're losing a lot of games and and playing terribly. You know, so this guy who wants to win, but he does want to win there. And is it loyalty? Is it that Dame Lillard, Giannis Antetokounmpo kind of? This is my franchise. This is my club. Right? That sense of almost duty." To do that, I, I, perhaps that plays a role. Perhaps it's the you know the relationship he has with owners there as well in in that, and it's a, a, perhaps a, a, a respect. And it's hard to argue that they're not trying to get better, right? Because they are. They have tried. Um, and I guess there's also a bit of hope, right? I'm not saying these guys are in the category of Tyrese Halliburton and Lamelo Ball, 
but you know, there's there's some hope there for uh, Denny Avia and uh, Rui Hachimura. You know, maybe he sees stuff. Maybe he sees you know potential in these guys. Maybe he likes being a leader of a team. So it's yeah, I I sicken. I'm just exhausted by the transaction obsession that I guess a lot of a lot of the NBA fan base has. Um, and yeah, of course, and he's a, he'd be coveted by literally 29 other teams, but. So I'd say it's a little surprising, but I go, gosh, um, again, doesn't mean he's going to stay, right? It doesn't mean that they don't get a um, Tommy Shepard, still a relatively new GM out there, doesn't get a, a, a look at Daryl Morey and um, a look at David Griffin and see what you can do for in a time in the NBA where there's as good as the Lakers are. Like a title is not unreachable. This isn't the, the Warriors dynasty where – aiming for a title is almost, you know, uh, and going into luxury tax, that sort of stuff is almost silly, right? It's almost prudent to just kind of play the long game while they were, you know, while Durant was in Golden State. So um, it's not beyond Tommy, perhaps, right, to just say, you know what, if I get a godfather offer, that he would trade Bradley, and Bradley then saves, you know, his reputation and his his um, place in the hearts of uh, the few bullet stroke Wizards fans that are, that are there, so yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I guess the final point. I'd be shocked if Bradley Beal did a, you know, a James Harden or, or even Anthony Davis and said, "I want out." Uh, at any stage of this, I guess nothing should shock us anymore in in the player empowerment era of the NBA. But just from what he said, the way he's conducted himself off off on and off the court, I'd be shocked if he came out with a with a trade demand. But I I take your point. If there's a Godfather offer out there from one of those contending teams, uh, certainly I think Washington would be silly not to at least listen. The trick, right, is when you've got, I guess that's the trick with whether it was Wall or Westbrook is that, man, you've got a a $45 million player on the roster for the next, you know, two or three seasons. Does Russ have two more after this year? I think he does. Yeah. That's brutal. So it's kind of hard, right? It's almost like you can't fully, you can't really fully rebuild when you got a a super max player on your team. So it's not, it's not easy, right, to just trade Beal and get a bunch of young players and, and picks when you've got, you know that that kind of guy on the roster as well. So mm. tough, tough sliding out in New York, but um, and it's just yeah, I kind of empathize in a way with Beal, just just so tired of the portrayal of that the media has on him and the Twitterati on, you know, nitpicking everything he does and nitpicking his decisions about staying and and the dis, just this disturbing, myopic, agonizingly frustrating, you know, again in the Twitterverse and the conversation with the. They'll take a five-second clip of him, you know, shrugging his shoulders or having bad body language, you know, standing in the corner, you know, on on offense, just kind of looking looking a bit lost and using that to, to suggest, right, that five-second clip is indicative of, of his entire mindset, right? Mm-hmm. That sort of stuff, I can imagine how that would just piss you off. You know, by the way, it happened to be that game where they are showing that clip. He went, went off for 38 points in that game. So it's, you know, it's just I, I feel for the guy having to just constantly defend defend his decisions that's exhausting well a couple of final Livingston moments from me does I just want to give a shout out to a guy that's had so many injuries in his career and has just been looking a little bit better lately and, and stringing some games together and that's Cody Zeller uh, at, at the Charlotte Hornets he actually played pretty well today <laughs> against Rudy Gobert uh, of all people and does you know I saw this when he played the Bucks. 
he was given it his all against Giannis. So Giannis still had, I think, 34 points in that game. So he didn't really stop him as such. But it was just good to see him out there and actually contributed. I mean, he contributed to, to Charlotte winning that game. Uh, I just love to see a guy fight back from injury and actually get back on his feet and, and string some games here and be productive and sort of get himself back in the, in, in the swing of a, an NBA franchise. I like Cody Zeller. I've always he's a competent um, he's a competent twenty five minute of the game NBA center. He's skilled. He's smart. He hasn't stretched himself out to the three point line yet. But yeah, he, he gave um, he gave Giannis a really hard time. Just physical and you know kind of fearless. So um, peculiar though. Brian Cardinal, Cody Zeller. <laughs> it's kind of a curious uh, curious moments here, Baz. He's, these uh, oft-injured wooden white dudes from the Midwest. It's kind of <laughs> Brian Cardinal also went to Purdue University in, in Indiana, right? Zeller also That's went to it, yeah. Indiana. So very, you know, kind of cornbread kind of kids. But uh, yeah, kudos, kudos to them. Um, again, Charlotte got blitz today, but yeah, nice to see guys fight back from injury. Obviously, I, I can I can certainly appreciate that. Well, um, now my, my final. Well, my, I'll go to my final, then I'll yeah. we can throw your final. My final, uh, Livingston moment is a franchise that's fought their way back, and that's the Toronto Raptors, Daz, who were just had a horrendous start to the season in terms of their win loss. I don't think they were ever playing all that badly. Like they were losing a lot of close games in that sort of three and eight start that they had, but. Certainly, Siakam wasn't playing very well. It was all sort of resting on, on Lowry and Van Vliet. They've now gone on, I think it's now four-game win streak, including beating uh, the Brooklyn Nets today in a really impressive win for the franchise. But it's been very interesting to see the way Nick Nurse has reacted to this. In that They've, they've said to Siakam, I think, earlier on the season, Siakam shooting number threes. He's sort of trying to shoot jump shots as well as attack the rim. Now it's just what it seems to me the last few times I've watched him, he's just almost exclusively attacking the rim. I mean, he's shooting 24% from three. There's really not much point him worrying about that at the moment. Uh, and he's been much more effective. He had 29 points today, uh, you know, probably the best player on the court. We had Van Vliet got 54 the other day. He uh, predictably followed that up. He couldn't throw it in the ocean today against Brooklyn. And um, Norm Powell, Book Bucks fans would love to see Norm Powell doing well. He's averaging over 20 does in the last six games for the Raptors. So they're finding other contributors. I think Boucher's been good. Uh, that's sort of taken the load off the fact that uh, Aaron Baines hasn't been very good for them and he's been a bit of a bust of a free agent signing. But I just love the fact that this team stuck with it. You know, a lot of franchises, and I think we're seeing it a little bit with Dallas, uh, will if they get off to that sort of a start, you're going to see the sniping. You're going to see guys questioning their roles. You're going to see guys trying to get theirs a bit more. This team's actually come together, and that's, I guess, the championship pedigree that they've gotten from winning the title that two years ago and also having one of the best coaches in the league in Nick Nurse. Uh, what did you make? You watched a little bit of the the, the Raptors today beat the Nets. What, what did you make of that performance? And are you like me impressed with the way that they've sort of fought through a pretty tough start to the season? Yeah, it's still, Siakam has, Siakam looks like he's either plateaued or regressed and I'm not seeing, let's start with the one I guess negative is that he just hasn't, I think maybe he said his ceiling does is maybe what I think we're exactly. seeing. Exactly, and, and they've said, kind of, let's, yeah. uh, let's, you play to your strengths now. 
you know, because I think they've recognised he's not going to be the player that maybe we hoped he was going to be two seasons ago. Yeah, so again, credits again. I can't stand the guy when he's, you know, doing dirty fouls and injuring Aaron Gordon and flopping and doing all of his bloody Kyle Lowry antics. Like he's an easy player to, to villainize and to and to disrespect in many ways. But when he's when he's playing a clean game like he did today, he's just man. You want him on your team. He is so tough. He's there's no moment he's afraid of. There's no player he's afraid of. He was going at. Kyrie and Harden today like you just love a guy who takes it so personally like he does you can just tell right he just plays with a chip and a bit of anger he just takes it personally you know Kyrie floats and Kyrie and Harden man if you could you could fill that arena with smugness from those two motherfuckers (laughs) it's just they just ooze smug right and Kyle Lowry has no smug he's right the tough as nails kids from Philly right he just that's what I see happening, Daz. They're still tough as nails. Um, OG Ananobi is really stepping up his game. He's not probably getting the volume I'd like to see from Ananobi, but he's really efficient. So he's just so strong and really rounding out his game. He's got he's up to, God, 43% from three this year, Daz. Mm. I bet you wouldn't have guessed that, right? So you see Ananobi taking the next step. Um, you already mentioned Chris Boucher, who is a bit of a darling. Again, another really late bloomer in his career. But he's playing some really great basketball. Um, Terrence Davis, you know, still playing his role. It's just, you know, cre- credit to that player development system they have as well. And and the one thing I that's the big risk they have, right, when they lost Ibaka and they lost um, uh, you know, Valanciunas a couple of years ago and mm. Gasol, obviously, in the offseason, is they are 27th in the league in rebounding. They are small, right? Like, they don't really play – a real, I'd have to struggle, a real traditional center, do they? Boucher is a, he's kind of that rangy, skinny, long-armed kind of center, and um, I guess you'd kind of call Watanabe, he's kind of a, you know, small ball five in a way, getting some runs. So that's that's good. that's their Achilles heel, though, Daz, right? Is, um, you know, Brooklyn could confidently have Jeff Green at the five, you know, today with no Kevin Durant playing, and it didn't really, it didn't hurt Brooklyn too bad. Um, but in the end, right, the critical plays, the final point is a, uh, you mentioned Norman Powell. Is Norman Powell like literally out hustled, out jumped um, four very passive Brooklyn defenders on a defensive rebound. So he got an O rebound and flipped it out to Van Vliet, who drilled a three to take a three point game and made it a six point game. And effectively, he effectively won the game. There was literally four Brooklyn Nets who could have could have and should have had that rebound, and he just wanted it more. And that was the that was the backbreaker today. So um, so good on you, good on you, um, Raps for turning it around. It's a team who plays hard. And you're going to kind of, in a way, Daz, you kind of like to see it, don't you? The the smug um, D'Antoni, Steve Nash, we don't need a coach. We just need a friend, you know, coaching going on out in, in Brooklyn and and then playing no defense whatsoever and not even caring about it and, and losing a game today for well, us. Well, so. I mean, that's going to be the difference between the Nets winning the title potentially and not. The, the, getting the little things right. And that at the moment, they just don't have the attention to detail to get the little things right. They just don't care. And, you know, the, the stat care. that I shared I with you before, I mean, since the Harden trade, and this is going back to a few days ago, so it may have slightly changed since, but the stat I saw, they are the plus nine points, the best offense in the league in the fourth quarter, but they are minus nine points, the worst defense in the league. So in other words... They're the the absolute worst. The next worst team is nine points better by point differential 
than the Nets, but they're the best offense, and the next best team is nine points worse. <laughs> you know, so I, I don't know that we've ever seen that. I mean, you said maybe the Paul Westhead uh, Denver teams back in the sort of uh, <laughs> mid '80s, maybe. But gee. I mean, but that's how I guess it projected from the moment we saw this team. It's just like they don't, they just got have zero interest in playing defense. And you saw today, look, when if Kevin Durant's not out there, this is actually a pretty middling team, Daz. It really is. I mean, and that might be a bit of a hot take, but gee, you take Durant on this team, and I think you, you can sort of shut them down, at least to the extent you need to on offense. It probably brings them down to a, yeah, maybe they're still a top five offense. But if you're that bad on defense, you need to be that much better on offense. So they're really putting the pressure on themselves to actually play at that ridiculous standard of offense every night because of the fact that they just they're not doing the little things right on the defensive end, including getting offensive rebounds today. Oh, sorry, defensive rebounds today against the worst off one of the worst rebounding teams in the NBA. If James Harden and Kyle, Kyrie Irving are your leaders. Um, setting the tone, setting the standard for what what habits look like, right? You're you're in trouble. I'm 100 well, percent with you. Is Durant you're, you're, a leader? It could be fatally flawed. Yeah. We haven't seen Durant be a leader yet either in his career, really, and certainly not a leader of a team that's won a won a title. So that's going to be the big question mark. Although he certainly projects as a, a much better leader than than Harden or, or Irving. Boy, couldn't be worse, right? I mean, Kyrie, famously, right, just um, the chronicle his inability to, you know, to lead men or inspire teammates. Uh, we, <laughs> James Harden, just look at the joy, right? My Levinson moments of the, also the Houston Rockets, man. Just look at the joy um, that when you have men busting their ass playing basketball is fucking fun to watch. The Houston mm. Rockets, right? Absent the the succubus, soul-sucking um, presence of of James Harden dribbling the air out of the basketball every day. Watch P.J. Tucker play with joy and Aaron, um, Eric Gordon play with his toughness. And uh, Sorry, I'm segueing away now from your point, Daz, but you just reminded me of my, my uh, Levingston moment. I'd forgotten about the Rockets um, and just how much fun they're having. And it's that chip on your shoulder, right? It's the chip, which is Vic Oladipo has been traded how many times, right, for a number two pick? talk bad about, right, wants out of Indiana, didn't want to go to the bubble, right, oft injured, you know, guy just going to protect his body to get a contract. A lot of shit talked about Vic the last couple of years and a guy getting constantly traded, it seems. John Wall with a giant chip on his shoulder who still thinks of himself as a very alpha player, right, misses two years off of devastating injuries, playing with a chip on his shoulder, Boogie Cousins already coming out and being a leader when, when Harden was there and a guy who's trying to reestablish some semblance of a career. Hopefully he can have a Dwight Howard-like kind of um, renaissance here in the final you know years of his career. Playing with a chip on his shoulder, Christian Wood has been forgotten and cut and dismissed and shipped around from team to team year after year. Man finally gets paid and he's got a massive chip on his shoulder. I go, that's what you want to see. And there isn't one ounce of that on the Brooklyn Nets, not one ounce of grit or anger or desire or one ounce of Kyle Lowry on that team, Daz. And so, mm. um, so segueing from the the abyss that which could be, there's a lot of downside in that Brooklyn team, isn't there? If Kevin Durant doesn't lift everything, but that was my other um, uh, my second to last 
Levington moment was just um, you also also like to see the a young coach like Silas right get his chance freed from that that impossible situation with Harden Westbrook early on in the you know in the off season and early on in the year so good good on Silas for getting his shot and good early signs in Houston. Well, it's I know a, you don't get a team you probably don't like to see. No, to we, see, we, but, well, yeah. I, I've, I've gone the other way, Houston. So it's a nice segue to our marquee matchup that I wanted to talk about this week, which was the Grizzlies and, and the Rockets who played. Now, the Rockets won the game pretty comfortably in the end, but I wanted to talk a little bit about that game and a mm. little bit about both of those teams. But just quickly, a bit of news first before we jump into that. So Kevin Durant today actually got tapped on the shoulder in the third quarter, Daz. I'm not sure if you saw this and was told to exit the game because he came into contact with someone who has later uh, tested positive for coronavirus. So he actually came off the bench because they weren't sure he was able to play. He played some minutes. He was actually in foul trouble, went and sat down, and then midway through the third quarter, an NBA official tapped him on the shoulder and said, you're out of the game. So that was a bit of a debacle, to be honest. Uh, I'm not sure who who to point the finger at there, where it's the Nets or the NBA that sort of... Uh, got their wires crossed, and you wonder if you should have been out there anyway. Uh, well, that it, that's true. I, I did hear the explanation, and very late in the game, the announcers, whilst it was on on a timeout, they kept the cameras there live, and the announcers said that he has tested. So one, he had coronavirus last year, right? So he's already had it. Um, he had it um, last March, right? April, right? Um, so he had the virus already, and I think the data is pretty clear, like. I don't think you can get it twice, question mark. Again, don't, don't take medical sure. advice. Yeah, from I'm not, not sure. Yeah, so he's had it, right? He's also been tested negative three times in the last 24 hours, right? But what happened was that um, someone who he was in contact with had one inconclusive test that they only found out those results at the time, right, when he was shortly before he was removed from the game. So it was a, again... Is it schmazzle? Yeah, a little bit. Is it? Is it just part of the nature of not having all your T's crossed and I's dotted with your COVID policy? Yeah, certainly. But it, it can't fill the players with confidence, right? That well, it's okay for him to play 20 minutes of the game, but not the rest of the game, mm. right? So you put all the players at risk anyway. It, you know what I mean? It's like it's just it doesn't seem to have him sit like that. Seemed a bit uh, disproportionate to the potential risk that he would be carrying around was, was my, was my read. But, um, so it sounds like it's a, it sounds like he won't travel to Philly, which is their next game. But I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't update and if the league office is working on that as we speak, but yeah, not a, not a great, not a great situation. Not, not a great, not a great look, I suppose, for the, for the NBA yeah. today. The, now the other news, so, uh, Devontae Graham went down today. Who's been playing much better recently for the Hornets. He went down with a non-contact injury at one point. So not a, it looked like it might have even been his back or something that, that uh, went on him. So hopefully nothing too serious there. But of more concern was in the game we're about to speak about, Christian Wood badly rolled his ankle, Daz. I'm not sure if you saw this, but uh, there's concerns no. that Christian Wood's going to be out for an extended period of time. Uh, Paul Silas uh, said after the game that uh, he's not expecting to have him back for some time, and you you could be talking two to three months out for Christian Wood, which is a real oh, right. real shock yeah, okay, um, right. to the Rockets and yeah. to and to Christian Wood. He's been just outstanding 
uh, so far this year, uh, from and and really is as advertised and as, as we would have hoped uh, that he was going to be. But look, as I wanted to talk about the Grizzlies and the Rockets because these are two teams now I'd rank one and two. Maybe Houston will drop down a bit now with that with that Wood injury news. But gee, I've enjoyed watching the Houston Rockets in the last, and and I never. If you had have said to me. Yeah, in in week six of the Livingston experience, where Sydney and you're talking about how much you're enjoying watching the Houston Rockets, I would have thought you had rocks in your head. But the, you know me, I'm a, I'm a bit of an outlier. I love watching great defence, and I love watching teams that really lock in on that end. And what Houston are doing at the moment is they're switching everything, and they are just swarming teams. And they were just swarming the Grizzlies in this game. And the the brilliant thing about it was to watch it from the Grizzlies' point of view and see Jar Morant try and sort of think his way through what they were doing. And he sort of had some success in the third quarter and brought the Grizzlies back into the game a little bit. And I thought, this is just fantastic to see this young Grizzlies team develop on the fly against the best defence in the NBA at the moment and the pressure that they were putting on. But it was equally impressive just to see how committed this Paul Silas has this Houston team play. And we talked about attention to detail, doing the little things right. This is what this team does at both ends of the court. The ball's move, the ball movement is unbelievable compared to what you would have seen in the Harden era with this team. John Wall shows flashes uh, of coming back. He's not playing back-to-backs. He's having some rest games. But they'd be encouraged, I think, by what John Wall's shown since coming back with this team. Uh, Vic Oladipo didn't play in this game and they still won quite comfortably, but he's looked good to your point earlier uh, since coming in there. And just guys come in and the one positive from the Houston, from the Harden era for Houston was guys knew when they came into this term, you better be ready to accept your role within this offense and within this team, right? And that's going to be play hard-nosed defense down one end and just stand back and watch James Harden do what he does. So you've now got a heap of role players that are willing to accept the role, and that role's probably been expanded a little bit since Harden's left, and that leaves them a bit more engaged. But at least you know you've got the right characters that no one's going to come out and say, no, I want, I want to take 20 shots tonight, or I want to get, you know, have more plays run for me, or whatever the case may be. And the final guy, yeah, Boogie Cousins, look, he's never going to be a superstar again. He can't quite move the way... That, uh, that he was at the peak of his career, obviously with the lower leg injuries, but he's locked in, Daz, and he's really bought into this team. And you're right, he he is a leader of this team. It's him and John Wall, who have years waxed lyrical about the opportunity to play together. They're finally doing it, and, and they're enjoying themselves. And, and you know, it's a joy to watch. I mean, I'm going to get to the, the Grizz in a moment, but, I mean, your last point, I mean, what you've seen of the Rockets uh, from from the times you've watched them. It's they're a fascinating combination, Daz. Of um, would you believe? I couldn't believe. It. I just had to look it up. They are fourth in pace, right? And the number two defense, mm. right? So what you what that means, right? That's two great signals for our team, right? It's giving max effort. Fourth in pace, so they're pushing it and pushing it, and they're having they got a deep rotation, so guys are always fresh. Right, so they're they're pushing that ball and getting out in transition and getting getting open threes. Um, and just as you said, they're switching everything. Now this is going to make for some great radio. For give me a second here, Daz. 
um, what's the name of the refresh my bad memory here? What's the name of their GM? Um, Raphael Stone. Stone. Thank you. The height of the players. You got Demarcus Cousin and Christian Wood, right? Both six ten guys, and then Buddy Kirks, who doesn't play much. He's six foot nine. Then you're ready for it. Jay Sean Tate six four. Tucker six five. Sterling Brown six five. Gordon six three, and built like a brick shit house, right? David Nwaba also built six five. Ben the Macklemore, 6'3". John Wall, big guard, right? 6'4". Mason Jones, two-way player, 6'4". Daniel House, 6'6". Oladipo, a rugged 6'4". Kenny Martin Jr., rookie, 6'6", six six, right? Roger Thomas, two-way, 6'5". Kevin Porter Jr., who they scooped up from Cleveland, 6'4". Oh, and Dante Exum, 6'5". Right? That's their entire roster. Every one of their players is 6'5". Right? And to your point, they're rugged, they're tough, they're infinitely interchangeable. And that's, again, my other thing that um, probably a, a Levinson moment I should have mentioned earlier in the year, but now that we're on it, is, is Sterling Brown, Daz. I mean, Sterling Brown was, had, you know, obviously he had some tough, that stuff with the, with, the, uh, with the police officers in Milwaukee, so a really tough relationship he had there in the community. Um, but in a tough relationship, but he became a, right, a very much a vocal, and probably still remain a vocal leader in the, in the Black Lives Matters um, you know, um, campaigns and, and movements for social justice. So no question, right. He's had, um, a tempestuous kind of time in Milwaukee, but on the basketball court, he'd lost his place. He'd lost his place completely, right. This rugged, rugged guy who was a spot up three and D guy in college and same thing. Great, pretty good second round draft pick in Milwaukee, but he was completely lost and, and ineffective in Bud's, you know, drop scheme, right. He wasn't a guy like a Bledsoe who could, or a Drew Holiday who can fight over every screen, right? He wasn't the headiest, you know, team defender the way Dante DiVincenzo was. But what he is perfect at, right, Daz? What you see him doing in Houston? Switch everything. Mm. He can guard 6'3", he can guard 6'5", he can guard 6'10", because he's strong. And I see him playing with a lot of, again, we overuse the word, but he's having fun. He's playing with joy. And again, getting really good looks and knocking down a crazy... It's probably not sustainable, but he's got a nice stroke, 44% from deep. So that's what I'm seeing. It's like, so when Sterling Brown is like your ninth or 10th guy, and that's the type of role he's playing 20 minutes a night, switch everything, really strong guy, gives max effort and can knock down a three. Like, wow, you just cloned P.J. Tucker six times. And Jayshon Tate, right? I didn't, I didn't know much about this kid, right, from Ohio State, right? It's hard to know much about college basketball in the COVID world, but man, is he playing. I don't know if you had a glimpse of him, but he's also this rookie, undrafted rookie, 26 minutes a night, Daz, right? Just kind of all everywhere, Swiss Army knife, take it the hoop. He can shoot a little bit, uh, averaging, again, just eight points, five rebounds, two assists, a block and a steal, right? Just kind of a um, age 25, right? And so th that's what's going on in Houston. They're just making the most of everything. They're playing a really, really clear style of basketball, which is really quite remarkable when you think about it, when you start the season um, or the offseason season with James Harden and Russell Westbrook on your team. It's quite remarkable how that, um, that GM and that coach have implemented a strategy and a philosophy and a co in terms of the roster construction and the type of guys they're going to target, and that translates on the court. That's fucking impressive, Daz. So, well, and this is what the Livingston... Well, this is what the living experience is all about, though, isn't it? I mean, the joy of the game of basketball, which we, which is taken out of it 
in so much of this transactional stuff that we talk about and you put these super teams together and how often do you see them just going through the motions and you wonder, you know, where's the, where's the joy gone out of the game? And then you see a team like this that's just locked in on both ends. I mean, to your point on Tate, it's hard to for any of these guys to stand out individually because they're so interchangeable and you you really, they're, they're, they can all put the ball on the floor a little bit. They can all shoot to a reasonable degree and they're all hard-nosed defenders, one-on-one defenders at the other end and able to switch. So, you know, it's it's beyond impressive what, what Silas has done on the fly. Like, it's not like he's he prepared this That's team right. to play like this. This would not have been the way they were preparing to play when James Harden reported to training camp, albeit late and out of shape and, and everything like that. You know, to do it on the fly the way he's done and get buy-in from guys has just been a, a, a really impressive. And I, I'm looking forward to watching them. They're playing the Spurs tomorrow. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching the game day. So, I, you know, if the Spurs lose, they lose. But uh, at the end of the day, you've just got to tip your hat to some really good basketball being played and teams that give a shit in the regular season. Yeah, it's absolute. It's fun. It's what makes it's what makes the league great, right? Is you've got there's enough teams like this, right? Who are again, I'm I'm probably going to go in the opposite direction. If it's almost, I, I think we said earlier, it's almost more enjoyable now when you can. And that's maybe the beauty of league pass as well, isn't it? Where we can kind of cherry pick the teams as the power of league pass, and it's got to be the best way to experience the NBA. Because um, certainly nights the Bucks don't have it and don't bring it, and they're just kind of tired or back to backs and just like. Eef. You just, ugh, you know, <laughs> and there's enough Brooklyn's on the league. Man, there's for every every one of those teams, there's a Charlotte who's bringing it. There's a Cleveland Cavaliers who will be my final Livingston moment uh, in a moment here, Daz. There's the Houston Rockets. There's the there's the plucky Kings, which you talked about last week. So, yeah, good stuff from the Rockets, man. Good on the fan base, you know, for, as well. To I hope they embrace this team and, and the hardened stands of the world, if they exist, you know, can can go become Brooklyn fans for all I care. <laughs> well, before we go to the, your Cavs, Levinson, Marvel, I just want to touch on the Grizzlies because the Grizzlies, of course, they played yes. the Spurs in a back-to-back game. So they had quite a bit of time off uh, because of COVID problems and they still haven't got Valanciunas back through COVID protocols. Uh, and I think Grace Allen's the other guy still in, in COVID protocols. But it shows you, you know, Taylor Jenkins' coaching is so on point there, Daz. Like, they had the a week and a bit to prepare for the Spurs, and they came in prepared for everything the Spurs were going to throw at them on both ends mm. of the court, and it was just a, a two absolute blowouts. The games never felt close. The Spurs, and the Spurs came in on the back of a three-game win streak. They were actually the four seed when this series tipped off, and Spurs fans sort of walked away from it just totally shell-shocked. And even DeRozan, I think they asked him at the end of it, he just said that was an ass-whooping. And then that was that was the the um, the only thing he said in the press conference and just walked away. So they wanted to get it out of their system as quickly as possible. But it was really impressive what they were doing on both ends of the court, particularly on offense, I thought, the way that they were just consistently attacking the rim. But the playmaking that they're getting from Morant and then Kyle Anderson comes in and he's playing point guard or point forward, I guess you'd say, with the second unit a lot of the times, uh, along with uh, Tyus Jones, who's having a really good season for them. And a funny moment as in between. So the Spurs got blown out in game one 
and Pop turns up to the pre-game press conference for game two and one of the Spurs beat riders asks him, uh, what's your plan to slow down Kyle Anderson? And uh, Pop just has... <laughs> Pop just has this wry smile on his face and he looks at him and says, I'm going to tell him you said that. <laughs> and then he said, then he sort of waxed lyrical a little bit about Kyle Anderson, of course, ex-Spur and nicknamed Slow-Mo. But he's just, he, it's like he casts a spell on the other two when he's playing uh, point guard, that he's playing at a slower pace and everyone's expect, everyone's just sort of that half beat ahead of what he's doing and he's able to sort of pick terms apart. But they, they were shooting the ball ridiculously. They've got the two best three-point shooters in the league, Daz. Now, one of them's Desmond Bain. Can you guess who the other three-point shooter is who's leading the league in three-point percentage at the moment? Dylan Brooks? No. Gorgie Deng. Fuck off. <laughs> Go on, Google it. Come on. Leading the league. We're just talking rubbish. Let's leading talk about the league. Shooting about 55%. Can we? Yeah. Shooting the shooting about fifty five percent because he was hitting a few throws against the Spurs. I was like, this is unstable. Then, then they go, geez. he's now leading the league. And I mean, yeah, eighteen Bain, for thirty five. Okay. okay. Yeah. So not Perfect. on a high percent, not, not still, on a high volume, but it's still allow me <laughs> to get you on that one. Uh, but Baines, I think Baines more impressive in terms of what he's doing as a rookie. We touched on him a little bit last week. Um, and the Celtics, I'll tell you what, they would be ruining that. They may very well be ruining the day. They traded him away for two second rounders because wouldn't he fit perfectly on their roster at the moment? He's another guy. He can put it on the floor. He's got some. He's got decent skills off the dribble. And Xavier Tillman still playing well. On, I don't think Tillman's going to keep up big minutes. Obviously, when Valanciunas comes back, but this team's deep, Daz. I mean, they go twelve deep every night and you've got two players Grayson Allen who was playing well and Valentinus who's maybe having his best season before he went out injured oh sorry with, with COVID protocols uh, the come back in so really bright future not to mention Jaron Jackson Jr still the player game this season yeah it's a great point I gotta, I've got to watch more Grizz it's hard not to enjoy watching Ja who's got that superstar potential of both individually with just his playmaking, his athleticism, all but the dynamic stuff. But man, what a great teammate as well. He is a willing, very, very willing distributor and passer, right? So whilst he's perhaps a score first guy, I think he's he's gonna he's got just leadership potential. Just you can feel it, right? He's just the team will gravitate around him. So yeah, a lot of fun. Good on the Memphis Grizzlies, man. That's another. You know, always pulling for the small markets and uh, obviously the Budenhoser um, coach Bud coaching tree down there. Well, he was actually, just on Taylor Jenkins, he was actually the Spurs uh, jeweler coach for a number of years, which I only found out the other day. Well, there you go. He's also also from the Spurs tree. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot lot of good things happening in Memphis. And, um, yeah, it's just been surprising that they're fifth in defense, again, without Triple J. That's so impressive, right? That's so impressive. Their offense has still got, you know, they're probably a couple of playmakers away, so they got some good spot-up shooting. But um, yeah, they, they need some wing they need some wing help, that's for sure. But yeah, definitely on the right path. And again, fun. They play together. They play like a team. They got the highlight potential. And uh, yeah, they lost a couple well, of years in a row. But I'm all yeah. in. I'm all in on the Grizz. I think uh, in the next five years, yeah, you know, from, from I think next sort of maybe 2022 onwards, 
this team is going to be right at the top uh, competing in the West. I should say 2022, 2023 uh, onwards. I think this team is going to be right up the top uh, competing in the West, provided yeah, health. I hope, and provided I hope we get everyone. Triple J back in the rather than later. We can see how he can, you know, see how he's taken the leap hopefully this year as well. Yeah, and I think Morant's going to be a, a superstar. Dad, I think he's going to be an All NBA player for a number of years throughout his career. Um, he just looks outstanding, and he knows, he understands the game. He understands when the team needs him to score, and he understands when he, he, the team needs him to distribute. And that's what impressed me the other day when when Houston were just blanketing him and all over them. He just scored a quick quick fire ten points. Because he was like, the team needs me to take over. Now, he's not good enough yet to really, truly take over a game and, and control in the way that he probably will in two or three years' time. But he's ticking all the boxes in terms of his development that you'd want to see so far from a young guard. Yeah, he's got that Dame Lillard end-of-game confidence about him as well, too. He's got that he's got that killer instinct. Yeah, it's, it's just you hope the guy stays healthy with the way he plays, you know, um, with kind of reckless abandon, just fingers crossed that he can stay, avoid kind of the catastrophic injuries and, and keep on going. But yeah, great whole, the whole team, good, good story so far this season. And let's do the final, uh, leaving some moment for you today. Uh, the Cavs, you watch the Cavs today, a competitive loss to the Bucks. What, what do you make of them? Will you continue to be impressed the way we we're talking about them uh, last week? Uh, they're a bit undisciplined today. So the, it was a, um, Close to, I think they had a three-point lead at halftime, and the Bucks just exerted their will in the second half. Giannis doing Giannis things, Drew trucking Dylan Windler, you know Middleton doing Middleton things, and they just yeah the Bucks. What won did Windler look handled. like today? Because I really liked the look of him when he first came in. I certainly loved the look of his stroke on on the shooting end. But yeah, probably like not the you? best matchup for him today, right? So he he would get get switched on to Drew Holiday. Um, you can see him struggle on defense, Daz. Mm. But um, he's got. There's definitely you can see the NBA skill, that's for sure. But my, I'll wrap a Levingston moment in what must be the most frustrating thing in the world, is, Daz. I don't know if you remember what Andre Drummond was like on the defensive end, but it was, I, I, I just my jaw would drop with his, his lack of effort, his mm. lack of, his lack of awareness, his softness in the middle. Where he, at the same time he would um, like give no effort and still give lazy and ones to Brook Lopez in the paint, and it's just so frustrating. And I got quite a good Twitter relationship with a one of their um, one of the Cavs big sort of online voices, yeah, uh, Braden Ball, and I think is his his handle on on Twitter, um, and. Uh, I said, I mean, I, don't, I hope I'm not pressing on a bruise here, but what on earth is Andre Drummond doing playing 30 minutes a night? And he said, mate, you don't even need to say it. All of Cavs land can't stand it. Because the Livingston moment right now is, is Jared Allen. My goodness, how he's only playing 20 minutes a night. But he was stuffing Giannis at the rim. He's rim rolling. He's right. He's doing L. He's doing all the Jared Allen things, which would perfect compliment. It's like the perfect compliment to Sexton and Garland, right? And the way they can do these really quick pick and rolls and pick and pops with him. He even made his first um, three-pointer of the year today, Daz. But Jared Allen was just, uh, let me pull up his line from today. Oh, I just lost it, sorry. But man, a guy freeing, freeing himself from growing up in Kenny Atkinson's world. And then um, luckily, I would say for him, avoiding 
avoiding the culture of James Harden and Kyrie Irving, I go, yeah, my goodness, would he make that team unbeatable, Daz, that Brooklyn Nets, he'd make all the difference in the world. But man, what a joy to watch a young center like him play. And I, I was so wrong about him. I remember his defense being so bad in the bubble. And I go, maybe that was just the bubble environment, you know, for him last year. But man, is he playing freaking awesome basketball. Well, Prince so, looks okay. good for them too. I mean, the Nets would be would be really pulling the air out over Prince's play, I think, since going going to the Cavs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, Allen certainly, he jumped off the screen to me today as well, just his movement and his, his engagement uh, on both ends, but particularly obviously the defensive end. But I, th- I still feel like Cleveland are pumping Drummond's tyres and hoping that someone comes in with an offer for him. Well, uh, you're not going to pump his tyres playing him. Like, it, is, it, was, it, was, it was laughable. I mean, his defence was laughable, Daz. Well, just... his defence mustn't have been that bad earlier in the season. They had the best defence in the league all but through, like, 15 games. It was an, obviously a small sample size. So it must have, he mustn't have been that bad oh, at the start of the they're, season. They're down to 10 before today, and they'll drop again. I mean, yeah. the Bucks just had. The Bucks made two three-pointers in the first half, like two for 16, right? And the Cavs were something like eight for 16. So just they were bombing away. They weren't like nailing every shot, but they were, you know, they hit like eight or nine in the first half compared to the Bucks two, right? And they were only up by three points. I mean, it was it was traffic cone in the middle, Daz. It was just, it was really bad. It's just, it jumped off the screen at how bad Andre Drummond is at defense. You just cannot, you cannot play him. So well, Kevin Love's to about to come back, so the defense is not going to get an uptick. Yeah, him, well, either. free Jared Allen, man. Free him, played 21 freaking minutes tonight. What a, just a disgrace. I don't know how that's possible. It's just, I hear you must be pumping tires, but it's free Jared Allen, free Jared Allen. Um, well, yeah, I think people, they're hoping people look at the box scores, I suppose, and say, well, what, you know, he's getting 20 rebounds a night or whatever it was at one point. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Or they're, they're hoping the in Brooklyn or... Nets are looking at the box scores. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can milk something else out of them. So, um, so yeah, kudos to Jared Allen embracing his new role. He's kept quiet, um, and there's going to be some tricky tricky waters for JB to navigate, as you just pointed out with with love coming back and how he does the minutes. Well, Drummond is a free agent stuff. at the end of this year too, so they've only got the end of this year um, to yeah to sit. Maybe they're doing right by Drummond. Drummond. I guess that's right. And, yeah, but uh, he, I think he'll have a Greg Monroe career path. It's it's really Ernest Cantor, right? It's just shock. It's just shocking, guys. Well, do you want now? Do you want me to give you thirty seconds to wax lyrical about Yanis's uh, elbow jumper to, to oh, end their time today? I might have to. Put a pillow over my lap to hide my excitement, man. It was, uh, right? It, we, the world's been hard on Giannis this year, right? You know, fraud doesn't win in the playoffs. You know, he's averaging 28, 11, and 5, you know, with anyway. And of course, he's a bad player now, according to the world. Well, not but in he's the trying, MVP he's conversation right? at all. He's trying, he? he's tinkering, he's right, setting ball screens, playing off ball. Um, he's they're finding play, ways for him to kind of catch his breath and rest on defense. Um, today, the first time I can remember seeing this, um, he had a couple of nice hooks in the lane, can over over Andre Drummond. So again, big guy, but not much, not much resistance there. And then he had a play in late in the game, uh, early fourth quarter, early fourth quarter when they started to really take exert control of the game, and just kind of you know took the bull by the horns. So Giannis got the top of the key, um, running is up a pick and roll with um, Drew actually Drew setting a pick for him up top, if I'm not mistaken. And Giannis kind of weaves his way into the paint, kind of sticks his bony little ass out 
and stops and pops from the elbow a la Chris Paul and snaps off the elbow jumper off a PNR and he kind of slid after he just slid his way from the top of the key, nothing but net. And I, again, Twitter just blew up. Bucks was like, what was that? Like Chris Paul had the spirit of CP3 inhabited his body for a moment. So look, how sustainable is that as that jumper, right? Is that's the big question, right? He doesn't have the best touch to put it mildly, but you can see him, you can see him tinkering. You can see him thinking clearly he's been practicing that, right? That's obviously the, and he didn't just make that play up. But so that's the, that was my little Bucks bright spot today was a, a nifty, nifty elbow J from Giannis. Well, it's why I've always been a believer in, in, in Giannis from the point of view of this is a guy that's going to continue to work on his game. And we all know that if he can get the jump shot consistent, then that it's going to be game over, like in terms of trying to guard him. But I think there, there was probably a, too much of a focus on just the threes. Maybe now they're looking at, at, at working in some sort of a mid-range jump shot as well, which that's been Kawhi Leonard's bread and butter, does. It's not the three-point shot. It's that mid-ranger that you know everyone is happy to yeah. give him that he hits with such consistency. If that's something that Giannis can add to his game rather than worrying about these early shot clock threes, which make me want to pull my hair out, that's maybe what, what what we need to see, and what's going to be, uh, you know, the the final sort of, um, yeah, you know, final piece to yeah. the puzzle, if you like. So it, it is certainly something that's um, encouraging for Bucks. I mean, if you get any positivity on Bucks Twitter, uh, it's a good day. It's a good day online. It's a very dooms, doomsday, that's for sure, that's for sure. So, Des, uh, we, we did have some homework to sort of watch Utah and, and Philadelphia in particular because they sort of been the two hot teams of both conferences. But I've got to be honest with you, I only tend to watch games that are close, um, that don't involve San Antonio. So, um, Utah, I've watched a little bit of. I watched them um, absolutely destroy the Mavericks. They were up 42 to 16 uh, early in the second quarter in that one. That was just, they're just a machine at the moment. They're a little bit like the, the Kawhi Leonard Raptors, which would just, would just sort of go through and just be all about their business and just play at the same level every single night, doing the same things. And, and they're a little bit like, even probably a better example is the Bucks from the last two years those sort of 60-win Bucks teams um, on pace for 60 wins, of course, last year. That's the sort of feeling I get from this Utah team at the moment. They're just in a, in a routine. They're going out doing the same things every night. No one really has an answer for it. The big question is obviously going to be during the playoffs. But I, I sort of get the feeling they're going to continue this and end up as the one seed uh, in the West, although the Clippers are making a bit of a run at them now. Um, the Lakers... Still winning, but not playing quite as well. Anthony Davis is in a real funk uh, for the Lakers at the moment, so I wouldn't be surprised if you saw the Lakers have a run of about a 500 of the next 10 games. We'll wait and see on that. I wasn't very impressed with them. I thought they got bailed out by the referees against Denver yesterday in what appeared a comfortable win, but I can tell you it was anything but comfortable at halftime in that one. But have you caught any Utah since we last spoke? Yeah. I also, the, you know, the dog ate my homework as well, Daz. I was supposed to watch the Sixers, and I just, I just couldn't for a variety of reasons. But I have watched Utah, right? And it's, it's, it's two things, right? It's, it's old, old Mike Conley is back. He's not, he's not, you know, 26-year-old Mike Conley, but he's, you know, he's efficient and he's confident and decisive Mike Conley again, right? 
Uh, obviously him shooting 40% from three on decent volume also doesn't hurt. So he can, you know, um, got that in, nice inside outside game with, with Rudy Gobert. And um, yeah, he and Mitchell seem to have found a rhythm. So that's, that's number one. And number two, what stands out, right? They're consistently getting um, offense from, from Clarkson and from Bogdanovich, right? It's create your own, it's spot up shooting. And those two guys, from my perspective, made probably the biggest difference from what I've seen early in the season. They're just consistently getting production out of those two guys. So when you're getting, you know, that kind of production from your fourth and fifth best players, right? That that makes you a that makes you a, a dangerous team, right? And then they have to get the solid defensive guys as well. And they go big. They want to play Royce O'Neal and Derek Favors, really good defense. And they've got the, you know, well, I can, let's call him the tall Gordon Hayward, you know, and Joe Ingles seems to also have found. Um, a bit of confidence again, Daz, where he had a really rough stretch last year, didn't he? He was really bad in, in the bubble in particular, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. So Joe also seems to have kind of found his game as well. And so it's, it's up and down the roster. They lost one game in a month, and they're just, they're just clicking. It's just good to see. Great, again, just fun team basketball. And much like much like we talk about Jaw, you know, Donovan obviously has that. I don't know if he has the ceiling that Jaw does, um, just because he's kind of small. But, yeah, Donovan... I don't know. What would you say? If would I be crazy if I said what I'm seeing is slightly better decision making for Mitchell, slightly less, you know, that the the, the shot selection. Well, it I feels look, I a think little more under control. They, they've been able to give the keys to Conley, and I think that's to the offense in essentially. Yeah, uh, it hasn't been. Well, Mike Conley doesn't have it again, so Donovan's got to do everything, uh, and I think that's where you know trying to get Donovan Mitchell to do too much in the last few years, whereas now Mitchell can sort of pick his moments and Conley's the one sort of given the lead, I guess, on that. Uh, so that that's I think Conley's play has sort of taken that bit of pressure off Donovan Mitchell uh, more than I think Mitchell's probably just doing the same thing that he's been doing um, the last couple of years. So that, that would be my takeaway from what... And, and I think getting Bogdanovich back has been massive. And uh, to your point, getting Joe Ingles uh, playing much better than what he did uh, certainly last season. So they're, they're looking really good. As I say, the, the big question is going to be similar to the Clippers. What what do they do in the playoffs? Philly do play the Nets tomorrow. So that's probably one we should pencil in as much as I'm not really enjoying what the Nets are doing. I am interested to see uh, what Philly are able to do against them uh, tomorrow at midday. I think they played actually early this week and the Nets beat them. So or they, No, the Nets beat the, the Clippers. Uh, earlier yeah, in the week, yeah. so but that that's going to be an interesting matchup, and obviously a marquee matchup uh, from the Eastern Conference. But does we might leave it there? The, the Celtics are up eight going into the last quarter against the Clippers, so maybe we'll we'll take a break from here and go and try and catch the last quarter of Celtics Clippers. Uh, two of your Shocking. favorite teams. Uh, Clippers had a. Th- I turned it off when we started the pilot. They were up fifteen in the second quarter, so they let the gas, the pedal off the gas, perhaps. Yeah, well, no, Jalen Brown for the the. the Celtics today either no Paul George for the, for the Clippers so uh, neither team at full strength but uh, interesting scoreline there heading in the last quarter anyway yeah we'll tune in we'll tune in we'll see how that works out though so enjoy uh, enjoy Tom Brady the grace of all time in the Super Bowl tomorrow Daz if you catch it <laughs> Uh, otherwise we'll uh, we'll catch up again next week and no doubt plenty more Livingston moments to look forward to in the NBA I have a fence I need to paint and watch it dry <laughs> rather than watch any football does. So I'm going to get the, the tin out right now. All right, buddy. All right, mate. Good to talk. Have you. a good week. Bye, Bye. bud. 
with it. Cliff Levingston took the charge, and there was no foul called. 